Welcome to episode nine of the Brinkman podcast, the podcast where we take the time to discuss the different episodes. We talk to some of the actors. We talk to mostly the people behind the stories, some of the missionaries or the families involved, and uh, generally kind of try to understand how it all came together. And I'm Eric Schilder, and with me is Sarah Boltman. I'm here. Hi, it's good Sarah. to be here. And also with us is Ian Boltman. Greetings. Greetings from Ian. So I'm very excited today. We're going to be talking about Dutch Underground Episode 2. And I believe we've got a clip for that. Why don't you go ahead, Josh, and roll it. During the next two years, we brought racing cars to those in hiding. Hans was the leader and your Opie was his right-hand man. As time went on, the Germans began to tighten their grip on our little country. They forced more and more people to work in the factories. So, what about the Jews? Oh, the Jews. By this time, they began to take them away. At first we weren't sure where they were going, but we suspected the Nazis were up to something terrible. Wow. Since our house had power and was at the end of the quiet street, it was the perfect place for the Dutch underground to meet. On New Year's Eve 1943, Hans and Otto stopped by. We covered the windows, turned on the electric lights and had a little party. I cooked up some delicious olibolle and apple flopper from sugar I had been saving. Lynn, these are great. Almost as good as my mom's. <laughs> a little piece of advice, Otto. Don't use that line on your future wife. <laughs> hey guys. A leader in the National Assault Group asked our team to join them. What? You're kidding me, right? What is the National Assault Group? It stands for trouble. They do the real fun stuff. Blowing up bridges, assassinations. They're asking us to conduct a raid on a government office. Apparently, there are a few hundred ration cards there at the moment. A raid? It's low risk. The workers there are helping. The National Assault Group must have heard about us. They know we're good. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, Otto. Would anyone like some weak coffee? Yes, please. What? Rang the light. Unscrew the bulb. Ah. Otto, get the oil lantern from the kitchen and put it on the table. Lynn, kick the radio under the desk. Quick. Coming, coming. Good evening, soldier. You have light. Electricity. Check that bulb over the table. Would you like some olibola, sir? Huh? Olibola and apple flapping. It makes me hungry. <laughs> uh, what about like Outsmider and Fritz met Mayo? Uh, All those good things like that. So, and I love the lady that is. Why can't Lynn? I think of the yeah, Lynn? Uh, just it, she sounds like every lady on the bus and uh, so real. And who who was that? The actress? grandmother. The you're grandmother. Saying. Yes. Yeah. Old sorry. old Oma. Old Oma. We the interesting story behind this is we went to Holland to record the Dutch actors, and we found all of the actors for all of the parts except for the person to play Oma, the biggest role. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dutch people that were were approached weren't confident with their English, and so they just didn't want to take it on, and so. Uh, we just prayed and asked God to give us the right actor. And when we got to Holland, before we went to record this episode, or these episodes um, with the, our friends in Hardewijk, we made a stop to visit a relative, somebody who I've never met but we're friends on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Her name is Hika. 
And so we went to Hika's house, and she had a little guest house for us to stay in. Sarah was there, and my daughters were there. And uh, Hika was a wonderful host. She she fed us and took care of us and was so gracious, and she's about 70 years old. And we came to find out that she was the niece to my Oma, blood relative. Okay. She looked a little bit like my Oma. And at times, she even sounded a little bit like Oma. She's never acted before. And so I remember having a conversation with you, Sarah, and I said, I think Hika might be our Oma. We went to Hika and said, Hika, would you consider just trying this? We're going to go to Heart of Ike and record these other actors, and you have a couple days, read over the script, and let us know if you think you're okay trying this. It's going to be a big job. And after a couple days, when we were in the other town, she, she called us and said, I'd love to try this, and I'd be so honored to play uh, your Oma. Your Oma was like a second mom to me, and I love her, <laughs> and I would be just yeah. honored. Sarah, if you want to finish it, oh, anything else? Special. Yeah, well, it was really cool because um, we didn't know Hika very well. Um, and when we got to know her, we thought, what an amazing, beautiful person. And to be able to, to have her play Oma was so special. And like you said, it was so special for her. Um, so I think what it did, too, is it, it helped our family get closer together. And I think it helped all of us. It helped all of it become very real to us because she was, you know, the niece of the woman. And I mean, it was incredible. And Hika worked for 10 hours that day that we yeah. recorded. And wow. and by the end of the day, she was spent. But the end of the day was the biggest moment. And she brought it. And yeah. we were so proud of her and mm-hmm. so blessed that she could be in it. And I think she would probably say the same thing. And And she was, you know, never acted before. But she was the niece of your Oma. That's correct. And so uh, speaking of relatives, uh, our special guest on today's podcast episode is... is one of my favorite people is, in the world. <laughs> and, and he has to say that because it is Ian and Sarah's mother, Joanne Boltman. Thank you for joining us, Joanne. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Now, we could ask you all sorts of embarrassing questions uh, oh, at least ahead. I could about about both Ian and Sarah, um, and but oh, I no. will I'll say this for a different time and a different type of episode. So, <laughs> have have you heard uh, have you heard the um, the episodes yet uh, as they're finished? Oh yes, you have. Oh yes, Ian we'll, played them for us. Yeah, and you can hardly stop him. Uh, what is oh, right. what's going through your mind as you're listening to those? Well, I don't remember a bit of it, of course, because I was inside of my mom at the time. But um, it makes me really honor my folks and just realize the awful stress that they were under during the war and how um, bravely and courageously they acted. I'm just really proud of them. And you have, uh, is it two brothers? Or, I have seven brothers that's, and two sisters. And seven brides, apparently, for said seven brothers. <laughs> that's right. Uh, right. Yes, and great brides. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, the, but some of those would know, uh, knew your father, a little, being that they were born at the time. They uh, had more interaction with your father during that time. Is that correct? No, you misunderstand me. I was the oldest. Oh, you were the oldest. But, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, but my brothers who came later actually worked with my dad. My dad had a gas station where he refurbished cars and his sons worked for him. For okay, quite a so while. They, they they just spent day in and day out with him, huh? Right. Yeah. They probably heard a lot of stories. 
No, my dad did not like to talk about the war, as a matter of fact. Uh, you had to drag it out of him, and he had to be in the right mood. But my mom is the one that was the source of most of our stories about the war. And she wrote a book, too. She wrote a well, book about our family, and that's where we got a few of the uh, stories, too. So, yeah. what, so um, Ian and Sarah obviously grew up knowing about this. Did you ever think it would end up being, you know, that this is book out there. That's actually interesting news. But now here it is in, well, at least audio format. Uh, and when you, when you hear these things, uh, can you try to put us into maybe the, the, the mind frame of your mother, for example? Um, you said she talked a little bit more. Well, my mom was a very funny person. So she always brought out the humor in the stories. But when I look back at what kind of a world it was back there in 1944, 45, that was the end of the, just before the war ended. It was the worst year of the war. People were starving all around. In fact, sometimes people would come knocking on their door very quietly and they'd be skin and bones and they'd say, do you have anything for us? A potato maybe? And my mom would always try to find something for these poor little kids. But uh, it was a horrible time. So my, my feeling is that my mother was very, very challenged in her faith, challenged in her hope. And being pregnant during that time must have been very difficult for her, thinking about a child coming into this world. And as a matter of fact, she had just lost a child a year before. So she um, she was going through some tough times, I think. And so was my dad. I, w- I always wondered, Mom, I mean, I don't know if you heard this from Oma and Opa, but did you ever hear them talk about why they did it? No, I never did. But I do know that my dad very much honored the Jewish people. He um, He knew what God said about them in his word. He called them the apple of his eye. And my dad wanted to do good to God's people. And that's the reason, I think, one part of the reason. Plus, he was very, um, he honored the word of God. And he knew what the word of God said about helping people that were in need and that were needing help. So I think those were his motivations. And, and later in life, uh, you mentioned when we were talking earlier that he had a, an even more spiritual awakening Do you want to speak to that Mm -hmm. a little bit? Oh, that was so interesting because the man who he, whom he rescued out of the haystack, remember there was a, in the story, there's a a man in the haystack. His name was Bumbergen. He was a Jewish guy, of course, short Jewish guy. And he and my dad went into partnership after the war and they basically looked for junk, collected junk and resold it. (laughs) And one day this man came to dad and he had two books in his hand. He said, are you allowed to throw these away? He had found them in the junk. They were books by Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher. My dad had never heard of Charles Spurgeon, (laughs) but he took them from Bumbergen and he started reading them. And that I think spiritually awakened him. God used those, those books by Charles Spurgeon to help him uh, all of a sudden see God more clearly. And after that, he became very hungry for the word of God. And uh, yeah, when I was a little girl, I can remember him taking me to a church far away 
because he loved the preacher there. And so he would travel from one church to another just to go and hear the word of God's, you know, really preached from the heart because he loved that. And clearly that had a legacy. I, I always find that interesting, a legacy to the fact that, you know, here we're sitting with Pastor Ian. That's when I first met met Ian, Pastor Ian, uh, you know, yeah. and, and Sarah and the the work that the that Ian continues to do at the Brinkman Adventure, you know, telling missionary stories and let's and glorifying God. And so, nice. you know, clearly there's an impact that came down from your father and your mother to you. And then uh, you as well pass that on to to your kids. And I see it also in Ian's kids. So. I would say praise yes. the Lord for that. Doesn't it talk about generation and, and generations? I say, and I say, oh, I want to say something about that, if that's okay. Oh, absolutely. You know how it says in, in God's word, this is way back when um, Jacob was blessing. No, it was when Isaac was blessing Jacob. And he was saying, he who blesses you will be blessed. He who curses you will be cursed. And that was the father of the Jewish nation. So my dad really, he took this to heart and he, he, he lived his life out during the war, blessing the Jews. Well, he ended up being so blessed by the Lord. The Lord gave him 10 children, seven boys and three girls. And every single one of those children follows the Lord today. Not only that, but their children are following the Lord today. The blessing is going to his children and his children's children and even further down. And I think that's the greatest blessing of all. I mean, they had and they had 60 grandkids. So that's, yeah. And I don't even know how many great grandkids now. It's yeah. so amazing. Yeah, it's great. The birthday calendar must be very full uh, <laughs> at that time. Uh, I have a question. Mom, I'm curious. Is there any way today that you can say, I think the war affected me for who I am today? As you well, think of your life. Well, that's a interesting question, Ian. Very interesting. Because I just, honestly, I just discovered this about five years ago, that the war did really affect me. Because as I mentioned and maybe kind of alluded to earlier, I don't really believe my parents were happy when they found out they were going to have another child in the middle of the war. And so I think during that time, maybe um, they had fear and they had worries and maybe even thoughts of, oh, we don't want this baby. Well, interestingly enough, when I was born and got a little bit bigger, I had a very great fear of rejection and it shaped my life. Um, for years and years and years, I would be afraid to do things because I would be afraid of being rejected. But the Lord showed this to me, and he showed that maybe my parents didn't want me at the time, but he wanted me, and he wanted me there at that time. And so now I, I'm, I feel like I'm completely freed of this uh, spirit of rejection, whatever it was, but it was a very real thing, I think, that, that impacted me in the womb. Wow, that's amazing. Thanks, Mom, for sharing that. And I think there's some research, too. I don't know. I haven't read extensively on it. But, but yeah, the hormones that are going through a woman's body at the time of pregnancy really do affect the little baby inside her. So 
I mean, it makes me really think, you know, when you're pregnant to to trust God, because when you do trust him, that little baby inside you is, you know, feeling that and also, you know, having more of maybe a stable personality or a stable um life even it's crazy right. to and me think of oma oma was taken to this german yeah, prison she's she was pregnant, in prison pregnant for mom she doesn't mm-hmm. know what happened with opa i'm guessing she yeah. probably figured opa was captured mm-hmm. um what a terrible time it's she so must hungry. have been terrified yeah mm-hmm. and in the episode she's you know being so funny in jail and yeah and she the yeah. the really the thing she really did i mean it was a little different than in the episode but yeah she was pretending to sleep talk she was joking about the jailer she was telling me i was i was the one that helped her write her book um well i was the one that took it from the typewritten version and got it into the computer she had a typewriter at the time um and so she would tell me some of the stories and you know it was so funny i was like oma you're laughing about this german guard with red hair and Anyway, it was it was fun. So she was funny like that, but I'm sure yeah. there was a very scary, mm-hmm. scary part of it to oh, yeah. her. It sounds like your your mother's sense of humor was one of the gifts God gave her, or maybe one of the tools, rather, mm. to right. help sustain yeah. during these unimaginable times. Mm-hmm. Right. I agree. Yeah. The other thing I remember about Oma a lot, too, which I thought was interesting, was whenever she would tell a story about the Nazis during that time, she would highlight stories where they were gracious. Like um, even the Ole Bullen story, where she told that one over and over because she said, you know what, they could have touched the bulb. They knew we had light, but they decided, you know what, no, we're not going to bother you. We're not going to get you in trouble tonight. Um, and, and they let him go. Another time, actually in the episode, you hear him, you know, the guys are about to steal the car and the German guy comes in on the scene and he's like, what are you doing? And, and in, in the episode, we played it out that, you know, it was kind of a standoff and they both just left. But in reality, what happened was the guard said, um, I'm guessing none of us wanted to die tonight. So I'm giving you 10 seconds to run. And he counted and let them run away. And I remember Oma always saying, you know what? You know, we we think it was such a horrible thing, and it was. But she said there were guys in there that were people too, and I thought it was so amazing for her, gone gone through so much horror because of that regime, to have grace and see the humanity in the individual person. And I really respected her for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that came out a little bit in the episodes, but she was an amazing person. Mm. Yeah, she was. <laughs> She was. And then they had the faith to leave Holland, their home of birth, seven years later, and immigrate to Canada, where my dad and my mom didn't know the language. They just started basically from scratch with five children. Can you imagine that? And I loved how (laughs) Opa had a Shell gas station and he would put Spurgeon quotes on the marquee. (laughs) (laughs) He was a witness to people. He, you know, he could hardly speak speak the language, but he would witness to people, and he would cry sometimes when he was witnessing because he would, he was so passionate about the Lord. So John told me that, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember seeing him witness to a guy in our house, and he was crying because the guy was so hard hearted. He didn't want to hear it, and he cared about this guy. So I saw my dad, you know, and he's he was a tough funny guy. Too. Opa was a tough guy. Yeah. He was, uh, he was, he was he not seemed, emotional. He seemed kind of gruff. It surprises me that he would cry. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what else he did? 
He was the only person who did this. And my brother said he was one in a million. But he would have a sign made up just to fit his car. And it was on the back of his car. And it said, ye must be born again. And then the reference. And he drove all over town with that car. <laughs> I had to ride to school with him in that car. I was so embarrassed. But today I think, wow, what a guy. <laughs> yeah, I know the I know the feeling. My mother uh, used to answer the phone. Uh, Jesus loves you. Hello, and uh, you know, as a as a young boy and a teenager, it was a it was a little bit. I mean, it became kind of known uh, that when you called. <laughs> but afterwards, you know, I I see a lot of merit in that. So, I I hear Sweet. what you're saying. Right. Yeah. There's another story where Opa was in the room where something was signed, and the prince was there. And so when Opa went back to, um, to to Chatham and had his gas station, he needed new gas pumps. And so he went to Holland and uh, met with, he wanted to meet with the prince to get them to send new gas pumps. And so he waited and they weren't able to see him. And so they said, we'll give him the message. So Opa went home. And when he got home, the gas pumps were waiting. New gas pumps were, wow. beat him home is what I'm told. Oh my goodness. I never heard that story. That's really cool. Mom, I'm just curious, um, this is kind of on the fly, but if Opa was here today, uh-huh. what do you think he would say? He would say to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. When I got Opa's Bible, I looked inside of it because I wanted to see if he had written anything in his Bible. Well, in those days, people didn't write in their Bible because they thought that was on erbidach, which means uh, not very reverent. And so he didn't write in his Bible, but he had underlined something over and over and over again. And it was, it is written. Mm -hmm. And Opa believed that every word of God was true. And he lived that way. And one thing my brother said was, everything that my Dad stood for at the beginning when I was little, he still stood for at the end. He was mm. true to God's word. He was a, a really a faithful man. Mm. And I honor him today because of that. We all do. And I, I hope that the that the audience listening to the episodes will find them uplifting and honoring to God mm -hmm. as we know Opa and Oma were. And we thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it, taking the time out mm -hmm. uh, to hang with your family. Well, maybe that's it's not so such a, a, a big problem. <laughs> but <laughs> we appreciate the, yeah. appreciate the time. <laughs> and uh, that about wraps it up for this episode. And any final thoughts? Not from me. Man, just so grateful, Mom, that, that you guys have been true to the Lord and... Um, have followed mm -hmm. him and set a great example for us as kids. So we love you and just so appreciate we you. We honor you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And, and those are great words. So for more information on uh, this uh, podcast and on the Brinkman Adventures, uh, visit BrinkmanAdventures.com. And uh, one of the things we'd like to ask you to do is if you've been enjoying the podcasts, please go to iTunes and give a little review. Or if you've got some questions... Go to BrinkmanAdventures.com and go to the Contact Us page, and hopefully we'll get a chance to answer those on our podcast. 
I'm Eric Schilder with Sarah and Ian Boltman, and we thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye.